Sojourn, Part 3, Montaleo. To all the varied peoples of the world, nothing is so out of reach, yet so deeply personal and controlling, as the concept of God. My experience in my homeland showed me little of these supernatural beings beyond the influences of the vile drow deity, the Spider Queen, Loth. After witnessing the carnage of Loth's workings, I was not so quick to embrace the concept of any god, or any being that could so dictate codes of behavior and precepts of an entire society. Is morality not an internal force? And if it is, are principles then to be dictated or felt? So follows the question of the gods themselves. Are these named entities in truth actual beings, or are they manifestations of shared beliefs? Are the Dark Elves evil because they follow the precepts of the Spider Queen, or is Loth a culmination of the Drow's natural evil conduct? Likewise, when the barbarians of Icewind Dale charge across the tundra to war, shouting the name of Tempest, Lord of Battles, are they following the precepts of Tempest, or is Tempest merely the idealized name that they give their actions? This I cannot answer, nor... I have come to realize can anyone else, no matter how loudly they, particularly priests of certain gods, might argue otherwise. In the end, to a preacher's ultimate sorrow, the choice of a god is a personal one, and the alignment to a being is in accord with one's internal code of principles. A missionary might coerce and trick would-be disciples, but no rational being can truly follow the determined orders of any god figure if those orders run contrary to his own tenets. Neither I, Driz to Arden, nor my father, Zach Nefane, could ever have become disciples of the Spider Queen. And Wolfgar of Icewind Dale, my friend of later years, though he still might yell out to the battle god, does not please the entity called Tempest except on those occasions when he puts his mighty warhammer to use. The gods of the realms are many and varied, or they are the many and varied names of identities tagged on to the same being. I know not, and care not which. Drizzt Duarden Chapter 11 Winter Drizzt picked his way through the rocky, towering mountains for many days, putting as much ground between himself and the farm village and the awful memories as he could. The decision to flee had not been a conscious one. If Drizzt had been less out of sorts, he might have seen the charity in the elf's gifts, the healing potion and the return dagger, as a possible lead to a future relationship. But the memories of Maldubar and the guilt that bowed the drow's shoulders would not be so easily dismissed. The farming village had become simply one more stopover on the search to find a home, a search that he increasingly believed was futile. Driz wondered how he could even go down to the next village that he came upon. The potential for tragedy had been played out all too clearly for him. He didn't stop to consider that the presence of the barges might be an unusual circumstance, and that, perhaps, in the absence of such fiends, his encounter may have turned out quite differently. At this slow point in his life, Driz's entire thoughts focused around a single word that echoed interminably in his head and pierced him to the very heart. Drizzit. Drizzt's trail eventually led him to a wide pass in the mountains, and to a steep and rocky gorge filled by the mist of some roaring river far below. The air had been getting colder, something that Drizzt did not understand, and the moist vapor felt good to the drow. 
he picked his way down the rocky cliff, a journey that took him the better part of a day, and found the bank of the Cascading River. Drist had seen rivers in the Underdark, but none to rival this. The Ralvin leaped across stones, throwing spray high into the air. It swarmed around great boulders, did a white-faced skip over fields of smaller stones, and dove suddenly into a falls five times the drow's height. Drizzt was enchanted by the sight and the sound, but more than that, he also saw the possibilities of this place as a sanctuary. Many culverts edged the river, still pools where water had deflected from the pool of the main stream. Here, too, gathered the fish resting from their struggles against the strong current. The sight brought a grumble from the Drizzt's belly. He knelt down over one pool, his hand poised to strike. It took him many tries to understand the refraction of sunlight through the water, but the drow was quick enough and smart enough to learn this game. Driz's hand plunged down suddenly and came back up, firmly grasping a foot-long trout. Driz tossed the fish away from the water, letting it bounce around on the stones, and soon had caught another. He would eat well this night, for the first time since he'd fled the region of the farm village, and had enough clear and cold water to satisfy any thirst. This place was called Dead Orc Pass by those who knew the region. The title was somewhat of a misnomer, however, for while hundreds of orcs had indeed died in this rocky valley in numerous battles against human legions, thousands more lived here still, lurking in the many mountain caves, poised to strike against intruders. Few people came here, and none of them wisely. To naive Drizzt, with the easy supply of food and water and the comfortable mist to battle the surprisingly chilling air, this gorge seemed to be a perfect retreat. The drow spent his days huddled in the sheltering shadows of the many rocks and small caves, preferring to fish and forage in the dark hours of night. He didn't view this nocturnal style as a reversion to anything he had once been. When he first had stepped out of the Underdark, he had determined that he would live among the surface-dwellers as a surface-dweller, and thus had taken great pains to acclimate himself to the daytime sun. Drizzt held no such illusions now. He chose the nights for his activities because they were less painful to his sensitive eyes, and because he knew that the less exposure his scimitar had to the sun, the longer it would retain its magical edge. It didn't take Drizzt very long, however, to understand why the surface-dwellers seemed to prefer the daylight. Under the sun's warming rays, the air was still tolerable, if a bit chill. During the night, Driz found that he often had to take shelter from the biting breeze that whipped down over the steep edges of the mist-filled gorge. Winter was fast approaching the Northland, but Driz, raised in the seasonless world of the Underdark, could not know that. On one of these nights, with the wind driving a brutal northern blast that numbed the drow's hands, Driz came to an important understanding— even with Gwenhyver beside him, huddled beneath a low overhang, Drizzt felt the severe pain growing in his extremities. Dawn was many hours away, and Drizzt seriously wondered if he would survive to see the sunrise. Too cold, Gwenhyver, he stuttered through the chattering teeth. Too cold. He flexed his muscles and moved vigorously, trying to restore lost circulation. Then he mentally prepared himself, thinking of times past when he was warm, trying to defeat and despair the trick his own body into forgetting the cold. A single thought stood out clearly, a memory of the kitchens in Menzoberranzan's academy, in the ever-warm Underdark. Drizzt had never even considered fire as a source of warmth. Always before, Drizzt had seen fire as a merely a method of cooking, a means of producing light, and an offensive weapon. Now it took on a greater importance to the drow. As the winds continued to blow colder and colder, 
Drizzt realized, to his horror, that a fire's heat alone could keep him alive. He looked about for kindling. In the underdark, he'd burn mushroom stalks, but no mushrooms grew large enough on the surface. There were plants, though, trees that grew even larger than the underdark fungus. Get me limb, Drizzt stuttered to Gwenhyver, not knowing any words for wood or tree. The panther regarded him curiously. Fire, Drizzt begged. He tried to rise, but found his legs and feet numb. Then the panther did understand. Gwenhyver growled once and sprinted out into the night. The great cat nearly tripped over a pile of branches and twigs that had been set, by whom, Gwenhyver did not know, just outside the doorway. Drizzt, too concerned with his survival at the time, did not even question the cat's sudden return. Drizzt tried unsuccessfully to strike a fire for many minutes, smacking his dagger against the stone. Finally, he understood that the wind prevented the sparks from catching. So he moved the setup to a more sheltered area. His legs ached now, and his own saliva froze along his lips and chin. Then a spark took hold in the dry pile. Drizzt carefully fanned the tiny flame, cupping his hands to prevent the wind from coming in too strongly. The flames are up, an elf said to his companion. Kalendil nodded gravely, still not certain if he and his fellow elves had done right in aiding the drow. Kalendil had come right back out from Maldabar, while Dove and the others had set off for Sundabar and he met with a small elven family, kinfolk of his, who lived in the mountains near Dead Orc Pass. With their expert aid, the elf had little trouble locating the drow, and together he and his kin had watched curiously over the last few weeks. Drizzt's innocuous lifestyle had not dispelled all the wary elf's doubts, though. Drizzt was a drow, after all, dark-skinned to view and dark-hearted by reputation. Still, Kalendil's sigh was one of relief when he, too, noted the slight distant glow. The drow would not freeze. Kalendil believed that this drow did not deserve such a fate. After his meal later that night, Driz leaned on Gwenhyver, and the panther gladly accepted the shared body heat, and looked up at the stars, twinkling brightly in the cold air. Do you remember Menzibaranzan? he asked the panther. Do you remember when we first met? If Gwenhyver understood him, the cat gave no indication. With a yawn, Gwenhyver rolled against Drizzt and dropped his head between two outstretched paws. Drizzt smiled and roughly rubbed the panther's ears. He had met Gwenhyver in Sorcerre, the wizard school of the academy, when the panther was in the possession of Massage Hanette, the only drow that Drizzt had ever killed. Drizzt purposefully tried not to think of that incident now. With the fire burning brightly, warming his toes, this was no night for unpleasant memories. Despite the many horrors he'd faced in the city of his birth, Drizzt had found some pleasures there and had learned many useful lessons. Even Massage had taught him many things that now aided him more than he would ever have believed. Looking back to the crackling flames, Drizzt mused that if it had not been for his apprenticeship duties of lighting candles, he would have not even known how to build a fire. Undeniably, that knowledge had saved him from a chilling death. Drizzt's smile was short-lived as his thoughts continued along those lines. Not so many months after that particularly useful lesson, Drizzt had been forced to kill Massage. Drizzt lay back again and sighed. With neither danger nor confusing companionship apparently imminent, this was perhaps the most simple time of his life, but never had the complexities of his existence so fully overwhelmed him. He was brought from his tranquility a moment later, when a large bird, 
An owl with tufted, horn-like feathers on its rounded head rushed suddenly overhead. Drizzt laughed at his own inability to relax. In the second it had taken him to recognize that the bird was no threat, he leaped to his feet and drawn his scimitar and dagger. Gwenhyber, too, had reacted to the startling bird, but in a far different manner. With Drizzt suddenly up and out of the way, the panther rolled closer to the heat of the fire, stretched languidly, and yawned again. The owl drifted silently on unseen breezes, rising with the mist out of the river valley opposite the wall that Drizzt had originally descended. The bird rushed on through the night to a thick grove of evergreens on the side of a mountain, coming to rest on a wooden rope bridge constructed across the higher boughs of three of the trees. After a few moments preening itself, the bird rang a little silver bell attached to the bridge for just such occasions. A moment later, the bird rang the bell again. "'I am coming!' came a voice from below. "'Patience, Hooter. Let a blind man move at a pace that best suits him.' As if it understood and enjoyed the game, the owl rang the bell a third time. An old man with a huge and bristling gray mustache and white eyes appeared on the bridge. He hopped and skipped his way toward the bird. Montalio was formerly a ranger of great renown, who now lived out his final years, by his own choice, secluded in the mountains and surrounded by the creatures he loved best, and he did not consider humans, elves, dwarves, or any of the other intelligent races among them. Despite his considerable age, Montalio remained tall and straight, though the years had taken their toll on the hermit, crinkling one hand up so that it resembled the claw of a bird he now approached. "'Patience, Hooter!' he mumbled over and over. Anyone watching him nimbly pick his way across that somewhat treacherous bridge would never have guessed that he was blind, and those who knew Montalio certainly would not describe him that way. Rather, they might have said that his eyes did not function, but they quickly would have added that he did not need them to function. With his skills and knowledge, and his many animal friends, the old ranger saw more than the world around him than most of those with normal sight. Montalio held out his arm, and the great owl promptly hopped onto it, carefully finding its footing on the man's heavy leather sleeve. "'You have seen the drow?' Montalio asked. The owl responded with a hoo, then went off into a complicated series of chattering hoots and hoos. Montalio took it all in, weighing every detail. With the help of his friends, particularly this rather talkative owl, the ranger had monitored the drow for several days, curious as to why a dark elf had wandered into the valley. At first, Montalio had assumed that the drow was somehow connected to Grawl, the great orc chief of the region, but as time went on, the ranger began to suspect differently. A good sign! Montalio remarked when the owl had assured him that the drow had not made any contact with the orc tribes. Growl was bad enough without having any allies as powerful as dark elves. Still, the ranger could not figure out why the orcs had not sought out the drow. Possibly they had not caught sight of him. The drow had gone out of his way to remain inconspicuous, setting no fires before this very night and only coming out after sunset. More likely, Montalio mused as he gave the matter more thought, the orcs had seen the drow but had not yet found the courage to make contact. Either way, the whole episode was proving a welcome diversion for the ranger as he went around his daily routines of setting up his house for the coming winter. He did not fear the drow's appearance. 
Montelier did not fear much of anything, and if the drow and the orcs were not allies, the resulting conflict might well be worth the watching. "'By my leave!' the ranger said to placate the complaining owl. "'Go and hunt some mice!' The owl swooped off immediately, circled once under, then back over the bridge, and headed out into the night. "'Just take care not to eat any of the mice that I've set to watching the drow!' Montelio called after the bird, and then he chuckled, shook his wild-grown gray locks, and turned back toward the ladder at the end of the bridge. He vowed, as he descended, that he would soon strap on his sword and find out what business this particular dark elf might have in the region. The old ranger made many such vows. Autumn's warning blast gave way quickly to the onslaught of winter. It hadn't taken Drizzt long to figure out the significance of gray clouds, but when the storm broke, this time in the form of snow instead of rain, the drow was truly amazed. He had seen the whiteness along the tops of the mountains, but had never gone up high enough to inspect it, and he had merely assumed that it was the coloration of the rocks. Now, Driz watched the snowflakes descended on the valley. They disappeared in the rush of the river, but gathered on the rocks. As the snow began to mount, and the clouds hung ever lower in the sky, Driz came to a dreadful realization. Quickly, he summoned Gwenhyver to his side. "'We must find a better shelter,' he explained to the weary panther. Gwenhyver had only been released to its astral home the previous day, and we must stock it with wood for our fires. Several caves dotted the valley wall along the side of the river. Drizzt found one, not only deep and dark, but sheltered from the blowing wind by a high stone ridge. He entered, pausing just inside to let his eyes adapt from the snow's glaring brightness. The cave floor was uneven, and its ceiling was not high. Large boulders were scattered randomly about and off to the side, Near one of those, Driz noticed a darker gloom, indicating a second chamber. He placed his armful of kindling down and started toward it, then halted suddenly, both he and Gwenhyver sensing another presence. Driz drew his scimitar, slipped to the boulder, and peered around it. With his infravision, the cave's other inhabitant, a warm, glowing ball considerably larger than the drow, was not too hard to spot. Driz knew at once what it was, though he had no name for it, he had seen this creature from afar several times, watching it as it deftly and with amazing speed, considering its bulk, snatched fish from the river. Whatever it might be called, Drizzt had no desire to fight with the thing over the cave. There were other holes in the area, more easily attainable. The great brown bear, though, seemed to have different ideas. The creature stirred suddenly and came up to its rear legs, its avalanche growl echoing throughout the cave and its claws and teeth all too noticeable. Gwenhyver, the astral entity of the panther, knew the bear as an ancient rival, and one that the wise cat took great care to avoid. Still, the brave panther sprang right out in front of Drizzt, willing to take on the larger creature so that its master might escape. No, Gwenhyver, Drizzt commanded, and he grabbed the cat and pulled himself back to the front. The bear, another of Montelio's many friends, made no move to attack, but it held its position fiercely not appreciating the interruption of its long-awaited slumber. Drizzt sensed something was here that he could not explain, not a friendship with the bear, but an eerie understanding of the creature's viewpoint. He thought himself foolish as he sheathed his blade, yet he could not deny the empathy he felt, almost as though he was viewing the situation through the bear's eyes. Cautiously, Drizzt stepped closer, drawing the bear fully into his gaze. 
The bear seemed almost surprised, but gradually it lowered its claws and its snarling grimace became an expression that Drizzt understood as curiosity. Drizzt slowly reached into his pouch and took out a fish that he'd been saving for his own supper. He tossed it over to the bear, which sniffed it once, then swallowed it down with hardly a chew. Another long moment of staring ensued, but the tension was gone. The bear belched once, rolled back down, and was soon snoring contentedly. Drizzt looked at Gwenhyver and shrugged helplessly, having no idea of how he'd just communicated so profoundly with that animal. The panther had apparently understood the connotation of the exchange, too, for Gwenhyver's fur was no longer ruffled. For the rest of the time that Drizzt spent in the cave, he took care, whenever he had spare food, to drop a morsel by the slumbering bear. Sometimes, particularly if Drow had dropped fish, the bear sniffed and awakened just long enough to gobble the meal. More often, though, the animal ignored the food altogether, rhythmically snoring and dreaming about honey and berries and female bears, and whatever else dreaming bears dreamed about. He took up his home with bluster? Montalio gasped when he learned from Hooter that the drow and the ornery bear were sharing the two-chambered cave. Montalio nearly fell over and would have if he hadn't been so close to the supporting tree trunk. The old ranger leaned there, stunned, scratching at the stubble on his face, and pulled his mustache. He'd known this bear for several years, and even he wasn't certain that he would be willing to share quarters with it. Bluster was an easily riled creature, as many of Grawl's stupid orcs had learned over the years. "'I guess Bluster is too tired to argue,' Montalio rationalized, but he knew that something more was brewing here. If an orc or a goblin had gone into that cave, Bluster would have swatted it dead without a second thought. Yet the drow and his panther were in there, day after day, setting their fires in the outer chamber while Bluster snored contentedly in the inner. As a ranger, and knowing many other rangers, Montalio had seen and heard of stranger things. Up to now, though, he'd always considered that innate ability to mentally connect with the wild animals the exclusive domain of those surface elves, sprites, halflings, gnomes, and humans who had trained in the woodland way. "'How would a dark elf know of a bear?' Montalio asked aloud, still scratching at his beard. The ranger considered two possibilities— Either there was more to the drow race than he knew, or this particular dark elf was not akin to his kin. Given the elf's already strange behavior, Montalio assumed the latter, though he greatly wanted to find out for sure. His investigation would have to wait, though. The first snow had already fallen, and the ranger knew the second and the third and many more would not be far behind. In the mountains around Dead Orc Pass, little moved once the snows had begun. Gwenhyver proved to be Driz's salvation through the coming weeks. On those occasions when the panther walked the material plane, Gwenhyver went out to the frigid, deep snows continually, hunting and, more importantly, bringing back wood for the life-giving fire. Still, things were not easy for the displaced drow. Every day, Driz had to go down to the river and break up the ice that formed in the slower pools, Driz's fishing pools, along its banks. It was not a far walk— but the snow was soon deep and treacherous, often sliding down the slope behind Driz to bury him in the chilling embrace. Several times, Driz stumbled back to his cave, all feeling gone from his hands and legs. He quickly learned to get his fires blazing before he went out, for on his return he had no strength to hold a dagger and stone to strike the spark. 
Even when Driz's belly was full, and he was surrounded by the glow of the fire and Gwenhyver's full, he was cold and utterly miserable. For the first time in many weeks, the drow questioned his decision to leave the Underdark, and as his desperation grew, he questioned his decision to leave Menzoboranzan. Surely I am a homeless wretch. He often complained in those no longer so rare moments of self-pity. And surely I will die here, cold and alone. Drizzt had no idea of what was going on in the strange world around him. Would the warmth that he found when he first came to the surface world ever return to this land? Or was this some vile curse, perhaps aimed at him by his mighty enemies back in Menzoberranzan? This conclusion led Drizzt to a troublesome dilemma. Should he remain in the cave and try to wait out the storm, for what else could he call the wintry season, or should he set out from the river valley and seek a warmer climate? He would have left, and the trek through the mountains most assuredly would have killed him. But he noticed another event coinciding with the harsh winter. The hours of daylight had lessened, and the hours of night had increased. Would the sun disappear completely, engulfing the surface in an eternal darkness and eternal cold? Driz doubted that possibility, so, using some sand and an empty flask that he had from his pack, he began measuring the time of light and darkness. His hopes sank every time his calculation showed an earlier sunset, and as the season deepened, so did Driz's despair. His health diminished as well. He was a wretched thing indeed, thin and shivering when he first noticed the seasonal turnaround, the winter solstice. He hardly believed his findings. His measurements were not so precise— but after the next few days, Driz could not deny what the falling sand told him. The days were growing longer. Driz's hope returned. He had suspected a seasonal variance since the first cool winds had begun to blow months before. He had watched the bear fishing more diligently as the weathers worsened, and now he believed that the creature had anticipated the cold and had stored up its fat to sleep it out. That belief and his findings about the daylight convinced Driz that this frozen desolation would not endure. The solstice did not bring any immediate relief, though. The winds blew harder and the snow continued to pile. But Drizzt grew determined again, and more than a winter would be needed to defeat the indomitable drow. Then it happened. Almost overnight, it seemed, the snows lessened. The river ran freer of ice, and the wind shifted to bring in warmer air. Drizzt felt a surge of vitality and hope, a release from grief and from guilt that he could not explain. Drizzt could not realize what urges gripped him had no name or concept for it, but he was as fully caught up in the timeless spring as all the natural creatures of the surface world. One morning, as Driz finished his meal and prepared for bed, his long dormant roommate plodded out of the side chamber, noticeably more slender but still quite formidable. Driz watched the ambling bear carefully, wondering if he should summon Gwenhyver or draw his scimitar. The bear paid him no heed, though. It shuffled right by him, stopped to sniff at and then licked the flat stone Drizzt had used as a plate, and then ambled out into the warm sunlight, stopping at the cave exit to give a yawn and a stretch so profound that Drizzt understood that its winter nap was at its end. Drizzt understood, too, that the cave would grow crowded very quickly as the dangerous animal was up and about, and he decided that perhaps, with the more hospitable weather, the cave might not be worth fighting for. Drizzt was gone before the bear returned, but, to the bear's delight, He'd left one final fish meal. Soon, Drizzt was setting up in a more shallow and less protected cave a few hundred yards down the valley wall.